you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 14. And once you get your finger there, if you'll put uh, another finger over at Luke chapter 4. That's where we're going to get started this morning. That'll be a, <laughs> that'll be a help as we get going. And uh, again, it's good to be in the Lord's house this morning. And uh, I'm going to do something with these things. Let's throw these off the platform. Some, uh, uh, John chapter 14, in the precious word of God. And as we get started, let's do this. Let's join our hearts in prayer this morning. Amen? Lord, we do thank you for your faithfulness. And certainly it's greater than we deserve. And so much richer than we are even aware of. God, I pray that you will... You will be, meet with us in a very special way this morning as we open up your word. And God, as we uh, hear from you once again, God, uh, help us to live our lives in a way that brings you honor and glory. And God, I pray that this message will uh, be exactly what you have desired for it to be. God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. Because as the psalmist has declared, you are my strength and you are my redeemer even on days like today. God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. God, use me as you see fit. God, I pray for those that are here today, those that are listening. God, I pray if there's someone in our midst that has never entered into that relationship with you through your son. God, I pray that today would be the day that they open up their heart and that they trust Christ as their Savior. God, we'll be careful to give you the praise for it and all the glory, for it's in Jesus' most precious name we do pray, and for his sake, amen. Let's look in John chapter 14 in the precious word of God, and look at verse number 1. It's amazing what the Bible says here in verse number 1, and following Jesus speaking to his disciples, he has already given them an example of service to them, he has washed their feet, they have, they have eaten the Passover meal, and... He says here, he says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He says, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. You know, amen. Thank you for that. Over the past five weeks, we have been discussing some of the various promises uh, that we find throughout God's Word. And today is really no different. We're going to continue to look at another promise today. But before we do that, I want us to remind ourselves, our, our working definition, if you please, of what a promise is. And so, a promise is a declaration. Notice it says, it's a declaration that one will do or refrain from doing something specified and that a promise is a legally binding declaration that gives the person, notice, that gives the person to whom it is made a right to expect or claim the performance or forbearance of a specified act. So the promise is really, uh, if somebody makes you a promise, it's really not incumbent upon you, it's incumbent upon the person making the promise. Remember, we said uh, about three or four weeks ago, we said the great news about promises is that it is. It's, it's dependent on who makes the promise, not the one receiving it. And so if we're talking about promises from God's word, that's good news, right? Because it doesn't depend on what I say, what I do. It depends on what God says he's going to do, amen? And so today I want us to celebrate, really. If you haven't figured it out from our passage this morning, I want us to celebrate what God's word has to say 
about the promise of our Lord's return. The promise of our Lord's return. And I, I don't know about you, but I believe he's coming again. I believe he's coming again. And the reality is, the more we look around, the closer and closer we get. Now, I'll abstain from making any predictions. There have been a lot of people down through the years that have made predictions about when the Lord is going to return and got news for you. Every one of them have been wrong. Right? Because they're not God. And so I try to remind myself on a daily basis, my name is Greg, not God, little g, not capital G, right? And so uh, we, we have to be careful with making predictions, but I want us to look here at uh, what God's word has to say about this promise of his return. And I want you to notice right away, look at our passage again from John chapter 14. You see, because Jesus makes some promises right here at the end of his earthly ministry all about his promises. Look at verse 1. He says, let not your heart be troubled. Well, why does he say let not your heart be troubled? Because in verse number 2, you find two promises. He says, in my Father's house are many mansions. That's good news. That's good. It would be bad news if he says, hey, let not your heart be troubled. Uh, two of you are going to come with me to my Father's house. The rest of you are out of luck. But he said, in my Father's house are many mansions. And then notice again, he says, if it were not so, I would have told you. But notice the second promise he says. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Good news. He says, it's open to all of you. He says, my father has many mansions. I'm going to go to prepare a place for you. Notice the following verse. In verse number three, another promise from Jesus Christ himself. He says, I will come again and receive you unto myself. Talking about his return. And so we have the promise of our Lord's return. And by the way, all of these things would have been good news to his disciples. I've always said this. In fact, Krista and I have, have done this over the years and I always say that uh, you can base your faith and grow your faith on past provisions. You see, I base my faith in my wife's faithfulness over the past 36 years. Right? And I, yeah, I know, it seems so long. You must be really old. Or is it me? It's me. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Point to me. Listen, I base it, but I also can grow it. I have a confidence that at the end of the day, no matter what you say about me, she's going to affirm me. She's going she's to encourage me. She's going to lift my spirit. She's going to be there for me. And so the same thing is true when it comes to biblical things. Where you see right here that Jesus is making a promise about his return. And what's interesting is biblical research actually probably shows more than this. Frank uh, Sherman and I were talking about it. But uh, biblical research shows over 330 prophecies. Think about this. 300 and over 330 prophecies speaking about Jesus Christ as the Messiah. 100 or just over 100 or a third of those prophecies speak of Jesus' first coming. Let me ask you a question. Did Jesus come the first time? Two-thirds of those prophecies speak of his second coming. So if his promise, if the promise from God that Jesus would come has been fulfilled his first time, do you think that the other 200 or so promises are going to be fulfilled? I absolutely believe that they will be fulfilled. Uh, look at, uh, flip over, I told you to put your finger at Luke chapter 4. And here's the thing, Jesus actually made this clear even when he began his earthly ministry. I just read you from John chapter 14, at the end of his earthly ministry, he talks about that he's going to go to his father's house, there's many mansions, he's going to prepare a place, and he's going to come back and receive them unto himself, right? 
But Jesus at the beginning of his earthly ministry, look at Luke chapter 4, he actually says something about his return right here. And, and we can see correlation in Luke chapter 4. Look at verse 16. Verse 16 and following in uh, Luke chapter 4. The Bible says, And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Now let's just stop. That's a great reminder for the summer. If you want to be like Jesus, go to church, says the pastor. <laughs> if you want to be like Jesus, go to the Lord's house and worship God on Sundays, right? Now it talks about the Sabbath there, and he says, And he stood up for to read, and there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, notice what he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and to recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach, notice here, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And then notice what Jesus does. It says he closed the book and he gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on Jesus. And notice, and he began to say unto them, verse 21, he says, This day, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Now you say, well, what does that mean? That's, that's all well and good. Well, in this passage where he starts to read, he's actually reading and quoting from Isaiah chapter 61. In Isaiah chapter 61, notice guys, if you'll show up verse number 2 of Isaiah 61, you're going to get the picture of what Jesus is doing over here in Luke 4. Because in Isaiah 61 verse 2, the Bible says, To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, which is what Jesus was just saying, and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn. So if you look back in Luke chapter 4, verse number 19, while Jesus is quoting from this passage, notice he stops at the comma. Show the Isaiah 61, 2 again, guys. Notice where Jesus stops. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, where it's got the comma. If you read Luke chapter 4, there's a period there, and the Bible says that Jesus closes the book and hands it back to him. In other words, what Jesus is saying at the beginning of his earthly ministries, guys, what is happening now, this part, the acceptable year of the Lord, this is being fulfilled in your ears right now. The day of vengeance is yet to come. See, Isaiah chapter 61, if you begin reading, it's all speaking about Jesus' first coming, but from that point on, especially when you get down to verses 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8 and following, Jesus is speaking, or Isaiah is speaking about the second coming of our Lord. It's amazing to me that we look at a number of scripture passages all through the Old Testament. And a lot of times we do this around Christmas, right? We, we look at passages such as uh, Isaiah chapter 9 in verse 6 and 7. Notice what the Bible says. All these Old Testament passages, and, and we like to look at them at Christmas, and we're like, oh... Jesus is a baby boy, he's coming in a manger and all these things. But in these passages, if we're not careful, what we fail to see is that they are talking about his first coming and his second coming. Notice what Isaiah 9, 6 says. It says, for unto us a child is born. Speaking of what? His first coming. Unto us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now notice what verse 7 says. Of the increase of his government. Now we're getting into more specifically his second coming 
of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David, upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this over and over. First coming, second coming. In fact, if you look at Micah chapter 5 and verse number 2, where it says, But thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among thousands of Judah, it says, Yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel. Speaking of where he's going to be born the first time in Bethlehem, he's going to be ruler one day. Oh yes, the first time he came, and I'll talk about this in a little bit, the first time he came, he came humbly through a virgin. Oh, but my folks, when Jesus comes again, he's not coming as a meek and a mild, humble uh, little child born of a virgin. He's coming as ruler. And so this is what it's speaking of. You have first coming and second coming in all of these passages. An interesting passage that I'm guessing not everybody has, has spent a lot of time reading is in Zechariah chapter 14. It's like, Zechariah? Where's Zechariah? Well, Zechariah's in the Old Testament. Listen to what the Bible says in verse 4 and following. It says this, and his feet shall stand. And I want you to notice the phrase throughout these verses, in that day, in that day, in that day. Notice it says, and his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be very great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north and half of it toward the south. And ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azal. Yea, ye shall flee like as ye fled from before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. And the Lord my God shall come, and all, and all the saints with thee. And it shall come to pass, notice again, in that day, that the light shall not be clear nor dark. But it shall be one day which shall be known to the Lord, not day nor night, but it shall come to pass that at evening time it shall be light. And it shall be in that day, again notice, that the living waters shall go out from Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea and half toward the hinder sea. In summer and in winter it shall be, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth. Notice, in that day there shall be one Lord and his name one. Oh, soon and very soon, he's coming again. Our Lord's return is inevitable. We could go from passage to passage to passage in the Old Testament and look at these prophecies about Jesus coming again. But I want you to flip with me because I want you to see it in the New Testament. Flip over to Matthew chapter 24. In Matthew chapter 24, here in this passage, Jesus Christ himself is actually speaking of his return. You say, well, how can we be sure? For you note takers, I, I failed to give this. How can we be sure he's coming again? Because God's word claims it. God's word claims it. That's the point here. How can I be sure that Jesus is coming? Because God's word says he's coming again. Look in Matthew chapter 24. In verse 29, Jesus speaking, he says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light. This is verse 29. And the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then, notice that phrase, shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man 
coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds and from one end of heaven to the other. Drop down to verse number 36, and let me read to you verse number 36. But of that day and hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, let me just stop there again and remind us all. No one, not no one knows the day that our Lord will return. But I can tell you by the authority of God's word, the Bible says he will return one day. And so he is coming again. Notice, keep reading in verse 38. All right, let me start again in verse 37. But as in the days of Noah were, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. They thought Noah was crazy. This man's building a boat 120 years. They see this guy and they say, you must be a lunatic. And he's just walking with the Lord, faithful to what God called him to do. Maybe sometimes you feel like Noah. <laughs> Maybe you feel like, does anybody really care? Does anybody really believe what's going on here? God has told me to do this, but everybody is laughing at me. Everybody is saying, you're a fool. You're this, you're that, or whatever. Listen, I can tell you, not many people are going to encourage you in your journey of faith. But I guarantee you, David said he would encourage himself in the Lord. We can be encouraged as we walk with the Lord. And so notice what it goes on to say here. It says in verse 39, there, it says, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, and one shall be taken, and the other left. Two, woman, two women shall be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, and the other left. Watch therefore, Jesus says. Watch therefore, for you know not what the hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the goodman of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore, be ye also ready, Jesus says, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. Oh, the Bible, God's word claims that Jesus is coming again. You think about it, other, other, uh, the Holy Spirit led other uh, writers of Scripture to, to include this, this, this idea of Jesus' return. I think about the Apostle Paul. He wrote about the certainty of our Lord's return. He wrote to that church in Thessalonica, in 1 Thessalonians 4, in verse uh, 14 and following. Notice he says, for if. I have underlined and highlighted the word if. Because that's a big if. The if is whether you believe it or not, right? He says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. Paul says, I'm telling you this by the word of the Lord. This is not my word, this is his word. Notice it says that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. And then that iconic passage, he says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Praise the Lord. He is coming again. It's on days like Monday night that I was hoping the Lord would come again. Right after I got hit with that stupid softball. I was like, Jesus, just, you know, like they used to have that commercial, Calgon, take me away. 
right? I was like, Jesus, just take me away right now. My foot hurts so bad. Casey has got a, a play. I'm sure he's going to play for me later. He says, bro, you were screaming really loud. I said, my foot was hurting really badly. The Apostle Paul wrote about the certainty of our Lord's return. You think about the half-brother of Jesus, James, in James chapter 5, in verse number 7 and 8. Notice what James says about the Lord's return. He says, be patient therefore, brethren. What does he say to be patient for? Unto, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, notice what he says about the Lord's return. He says, behold, the husband waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it. Oh, I'm, I'm so thankful for God's patience. Hey, let me ask a question. Does anybody here know anybody that still needs to hear about Jesus? Does anybody here have a family member that needs to be saved? Does anybody have a coworker or a neighbor that you know that need the Lord? You ought to be really grateful for the Lord's long-suffering. James says here, he says, he says, listen, behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he received the early and the latter rain. Be ye also patient. He says, establish or establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. You say, well, hold on. That's a long time ago. Why hasn't he come yet? He says, if it's drawing nigh, well, we've got to understand that uh, the Lord's time and our time are on two different wavelengths. And we could go into the science of, of, of time and space and matter and understand that our God operates outside of that world, right? We can come up with the science of that, but God operates outside of that because he is the creator of that. But here's what Peter said. You know what Peter said in 2 Peter 3, verse number 10? He said that our Lord would come as a thief in the night. Let me ask you a question. When do you think a thief is going to come, and how do you think he's going to come if he comes? He's not going to come by turning on all the lights at the house. He's not going to come and, hey, anybody here, I'm here to rob you. Absolutely not. And I'm not equating Jesus to a thief, but that's the imagery that he's going to come. It's going to be sudden. It's going to be silent. It's going to be quick. And he'll be here. How amazing is that? Oh, the eastern sky will break one of these days. The writer of Hebrews said that Christ, in Hebrews 9, 28, we talk about Hebrews 9, 27, that it's appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment. But in Hebrews 9, 28, it says that Jesus Christ shall appear the second time without sin unto salvation. And then in Revelation 22, verse 20, Jesus Christ himself, he said right there at the end of Scripture, he says, surely I come quickly. Oh, he's coming again. You say, well, Pastor Greg, how do you know? Because God's word claims it. God's word claims it. You say, well, are you so smart? No, I'm not so smart, but God is. And God says he's coming again in his word. Jesus is coming back. And I put down here, not to believe that he's coming back is to do a disservice to God's word and to the very son of God. In fact, one pastor put it this way. He said, the return of Jesus is not unbelievable. It's undeniable. It's not unbelievable, it's undeniable. And so how do I know he's coming? The God's word claims it. Secondly, how do I know he's coming back? Here's the part that we won't like much. It's a short, it's a short point, so you all will be able to bear it, but here's the second point. God's justice demands it. 
You say, well, what, why is Jesus coming back? Why is, this Lord, why is the Lord going to return? Because God's justice demands it. I said to you the first time he came, Jesus came as redeemer. The second time he comes, he'll come as ruler. The first time he came, he came as a suffering servant. The second time he comes, he's coming as a sovereign king. The first time he comes, he came humbly, as I said, through the birth of a virgin. The second time, the Bible, I've already read it, says he's coming in power, in triumphant glory. Riding, by the way, he's coming back, he's going to ride a white horse. You ever read that in scripture? He's coming back, he's going to be coming back on the horse. First time he came, he was despised and rejected. The second time he comes, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. The first time he came, they placed a crown of thorns on his head. The second time he comes back, he'll be wearing a crown of glory. The first time he came, he came in love and truth. The second time he comes back, I got bad news for you. For those that don't know the Lord and those who are enemies of the Lord, he will come back in vengeance. The first time he came, he came and he died as a sacrifice for the sins of the world, for my sins, for your sins, for the sins of everyone, the whosoever wills of the world, he came for that. The second time he comes, he will come to be the one who forever judges sin. Oh, the meek and mild Jesus, the humble servant on the cross that the world pictures will not be the same Jesus that comes back when he returns. Oh, he will be very, very different. In fact, in Revelation chapter 1, in verse number 7 and 8, the Bible says, Behold, he cometh with the clouds, and every knee shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth. Notice what it says they're going to do. It says they shall wail. They shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. And then Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Listen, as he comes... Think about this. As he comes, a primary purpose of his return will be to judge the world, the devil, and all those that don't know him of sin. And sadly, sadly, most of the world today refuses to see Jesus for who he actually is today as the loving, kind, the Jesus. Remember, John says, the, we saw him, he was only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. They fail to see him as a loving God. They fail to see him as someone who is trying to give truth and love and goodness to them. And instead, one day, the reality, sadly, is that they will see him as the Alpha and the Omega. They will see him as the beginning and the ending, and there will be no choice. By the way, let me just stop here and say, God doesn't send anybody to a horrific place called hell. That's not God's plan. You don't find that in God's word anywhere where God says, hey, I want to send everybody to hell. No, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God has made a remedy for you and I in our sin problem through our great redeemer, Jesus Christ. And he says, today is the day of salvation. I want you to trust him now. I want you to have a relationship with me through my son, Jesus Christ. Oh, listen, one day our loving God is going to come back. And certainly we have a loving God, but he does not operate outside of a judge-free zone. Isn't it amazing that our children don't operate outside of a judge-free zone? Anybody exercise judgment on a child? Nobody. Everybody just, just oh, I let my kids get away with everything. Right? Man, I guarantee you, Casey, I love Casey. He said this one time. He says, 
I knew I was in trouble if my dad told me, don't, you don't want me to take you to the bathroom, do you? <laughs> it wasn't because I was harsh. It was because I wanted him to understand there's a way to act and there's a way not to act. There's a way to be respectful to people and there's a way not to be respectful to people. There's a way to love God and to serve God and there's a way that we don't do that, right? Oh, listen, it's amazing to me that everybody will, will come down and say this, well, God is sending people to hell. No, he's not. He wants everyone to be saved. He want, he, he, listen, God sent his son to be, I said this last week when we talked about forgiveness, he sent his son to be the propitiation, the atonement, the redeemer, the one who paid the ultimate price, the sacrifice, the ransom for many to be saved. But there's only so much that he can do. At some point, you have to either believe and receive it or you're going to reject it. And so I just wanted to say that our God is loving, but his holy nature requires that one day he will judge sin. One day he will judge sin. In fact, in Revelation chapter 19, uh, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 19, in verse number 11 and following, it says here, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, it says, He doth judge, what does it say? He doth judge and make war. That's not the Jesus we want to know. Oh, and for those who, are, who have been born again, you'll not experience that Jesus. You, you'll, you'll know what's taking place. You'll not experience that type of Jesus, but he will, he will judge and make war. Notice verse 12. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses. Oh, anybody ready for a horse ride? Oh, you say, I've never ridden a horse. Oh, soon and very soon. Clothed in fine linen, white and clean, and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings. And Lord of Lords. Folks, this, this is who Jesus Christ is. And one day, one day on that one particular day, oh, listen, the rest of the world, the devil, they will see him as judge. In 2 Thessalonians, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse number 7, I know I'm giving you a lot of scripture, but guys, if I'm going to confirm to you that Jesus is coming again, you have to see it from God's word. In 2 Thessalonians 1 and verse 7 and following, the Bible says, And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and they that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Notice verse 10. When he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe because our testimony among you was believed. And notice the phrase again. In that day. Oh, when he comes, he will come to judge the world, but he will also come to take care of our adversary, that roaring lion. I'm so thankful he's going to take care of that dirty old devil, aren't you? Soon and very soon, he's going to take care of them. You know, the first time, by the way, that was promised in Genesis chapter 3. You remember? 
after Adam and Eve has sinned, God said, hey, listen, old dirty old serpent, one day there's coming one who's going to take care of you. And you can read about that in Genesis 3 and verses 14 and 15. And so the really cool thing is that when Jesus came the first time, he came to regain what Adam had lost through his sin. But when he comes the second time, he's coming to deal with the devil. First time he comes back to take care and regain what Adam had lost, that relationship, that fellowship with God through his sin. The second time he comes back, he's coming back to deal with the devil. I'm so thankful for that. In Revelation 19, Jesus returns to earth to destroy his enemies. And if you read in Revelation chapter 20, you can read the first part. It says that he throws the devil into the bottomless pit for a while. And then later, he ultimately, ultimately throws him in the lake of fire. Oh, what a day that is going to be when Jesus comes back. The good news, good news, is the devil is doomed. The devil is doomed. Man, that should make you happy. I, I really, the devil is doomed. Let me ask you a question. Does the adversary walk about seeking to destroy your life today? Has anybody ever felt under the attack of the devil? Oh, yeah. By the way, you know when he likes to attack? When you think uh, that you don't need God's help anymore? When you're up on top of the mountain, job's good, the pay's good, Wife's good, husband's good, everything's good, 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 good. And we get to the point where we're like, I don't need to go and worship the Lord. He's taking care of me. I, I don't need to serve the Lord. I don't, need to, I, don't, I, I don't need to participate in Bible study and all this. I got it all figured out. God, you can go help this, my neighbor, because they need your help more than me. Oh, guess what? Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary is a roaring lion. He walks about, seeking whom he may devour. Listen, the devil isn't, isn't uh, worried about you when, when you're down in the midst of the valley and you're struggling to hold on to your faith. He, he, he's like, yep, look, there they are down in the valley. Yep, they got their eyes on the problem instead of on Jesus, right? Oh, he wants to attack us. Oh, at all seasons of life, up, down, in the middle. But a lot of times he comes and attacks when everything seems to be going well. But I can tell you the promise of our Lord's certain. And then lastly... Not only does God's word claim he's returning, not only does God's justice demand it, but I really believe this. Look back with me at John 14. I believe that God's people should crave it. You say, well, I like my life. I like my life too. But I can only imagine what that'll be one day when I see Jesus. Can you think about it? Close your eyes. Think about it. Can you imagine what that's going to be like when we see him as he is? When, we, when we're able to be around his throne and we're singing with every people, every kindred, every tongue, every nation, we're all gathered around the throne of our great God and we're worshiping him. And people say, well, I don't like to sing. That's going to be kind of boring. Oh, my goodness. How could you ever think that that would be boring? To be around the throne of our eternal, our great heavenly Father. Our, oh, listen, Jesus Jesus will be high and lifted up in John chapter 1. Look with me again. Read it. Verse 1, he says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He said, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Truly, there is something in the heart of true believers that should desire the Lord's return. By the way, the picture that Jesus is giving his disciples here is one of the Jewish customs 
and, and culture concerning the betrothal period. In Jesus, in Jewish culture, talking about a binding covenant that was made between a husband and a wife, the covenant that would be made in the, uh, in the uh, Jewish culture between two people. And so here's what would happen. After the formal engagement, the husband-to-be, so to speak, uh, and the wife, they would separate. The husband would go back to his father's home, and he would build an addition or an add-on, if you please, to his father's house that had many mansions. And then when the place was ready, guess what he would do? Get all suited up and come back for his bride. Oh, guess who the bride is? Everyone, the whosoever's. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you have called upon the name of the Lord, you're a part of his church, the bride of Christ. And soon and very soon, what Jesus is saying, he's saying, in my Father's house are many mansions. And he says, guess what? I go to prepare a place for you. There's a little addition. Now, if your Bible says there's many rooms, then be excited about the room you're going to get. My Bible says many mansions. I'm looking forward to that. And you say, I don't care if the mansion's a four-by-four square. Just to be with Jesus will be mansion enough. Oh, listen. Soon and very soon we're going to see the king. And so the beautiful picture that Jesus is saying is that when, when things are ready, when it's time for me to return, I'm going to return to reclaim my bride, the church. Oh, Jesus loved the church and died and gave himself for the church. We know that from Ephesians chapter 5. Listen, most people wonder, and sometimes actually, not only do they wonder, they complain. Well, why doesn't he just come back? I mean, it's 2019 for crying out loud. Why doesn't Jesus just come back? Well, the only thing I can say is I have to take you to the passage that we talked about a little bit last week. And that's what Peter wrote in 2 Peter 3. Because notice, in verse number 8, this is what he writes. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Keep reading. The Lord is not slack concerning his what? promise we're talking about promises he says the lord's not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness but is long suffering to usward not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance you see our lord's return is based on his love and his patience he says Yvonne I know you have maybe some friends or family that still need the Lord. I'm patient. I want them to trust Christ. Do, do your very best. Everybody work together. Do your very best to share my love and my truth with them so that they can know me through my son Jesus Christ who I willingly gave as the ransom for their sin. Please do your best to share that love with people. This is what he's saying. He says, I'm patient. In fact, if you read on, guys, show verse 10. Verse 10, it says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, Peter said, in the time which the heavens shall pass away with great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat in the earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be? Notice what Peter says. He says, if you know that the Lord's coming back, if you know that he's not slack concerning his promise, if you know that he's going to do these things, what type of person should you be? Notice what it says. In all holy conversation, that's talking about our conduct. 
and in godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Verse 13, nevertheless, we according to, again, there it is, his promise, look, oh, this is good news, look for new heavens and new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent, that means do your part. Be diligent that you may be found in him in peace without spot and blameless. I read to you earlier in Matthew chapter 24, but I think one verse could sum it all up in Matthew 24 and verse 14 as we close our message. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And there's one big phrase that if you haven't underlined in your Bible, you ought to underline. And then... And then, notice what happens after then. And then shall the end come. Folks, based on the missionary work that is being done all around the world, I ha and a number of other signs of the times, I can't imagine that we're too far away from the return of our Lord. Revelation 19 reminds us that soon and very soon, you and I, who have been saved are going to join Jesus for that marriage supper of the Lamb. Oh, that's one feast we don't want to miss. You don't want to miss that marriage supper. And so what does this information mean for you and I? I close with the quote from the pastor, the legendary pastor, really, teacher and author, Adrian Rogers, who stated in his book, The End Times in Our Times, this is what he stated. He said, knowing all that we know about the Lord's return, he said, we need to be looking for His coming. You know what Adrian Rogers was saying? He was saying, we need to quit looking this way, and we need to start looking this way. He said, you need to be looking for his coming, as Colossians says, set your affections on things above. But he didn't stop there. He says, knowing what we know, we not only need to be looking for his coming, we need to be living for his coming. And so I ask you the question, are you living as if you're ready for Jesus to come today? He could come just like that. Just like that. I mean, literally, in the twinkling of an eye, Jesus could come back. Listen, as we wait for his return, we should be living and serving him in the way that brings him glory. And then Adrian Rogers says, not only should we be looking for his coming and living for his coming, but to go along with my point, he said, we ought to be longing for his coming. The last part of Revelation 22, 20, the Bible says, even so come, Lord Jesus I remember when Krista and I were dating and engaged. We didn't live in the same city. I was working undercover and I lived in North Carolina and then I lived in Atlanta, Georgia and I was, I was tracking AWOLs, deserters from the Marine Corps and I was moving government prisoners to different Federal Bureau of Prisons and I was traveling really quite honestly the world. And I remember how I used to feel when I would say goodbye to my fiance. Guys, you remember that? Oh, date your wife, guys. I remember how I used to feel. I used to feel like I never wanted to say goodbye. I remember the day that we left in the truck. I remember crying sometimes. I didn't really cry. I would have what they call moisty eye syndrome. I don't cry, <laughs> right? But I used to long for the day that I would see her beautiful face again. 
spiritually, do you long to see the face of Jesus? It's amazing to me how emotional we would get being separated from one another for a month, two months. Sometimes when I was sent overseas on tours of duty and things like that, and we get real emotional. I got to go off over here, and she's here, and got the kids, and doing all the work as usual, right? And we would long to see one another again. Adrian Rogers says we ought to be looking for his return. We should be living for his return. We should be longing for his return. Jesus Christ, our Lord, is coming back. His return is sure. His return is sudden. And so I simply ask you the question, are you ready? Are you ready for the Lord's return? Are you living for Him? Are you looking for Him? Are you longing for Him? I think of old John Peterson's wonderful hymn from 1959. In the chorus of his song, it goes out like this, and maybe you know it. He says, coming again. Coming again, maybe morning, maybe noon, maybe evening, or maybe soon. Coming again, coming again, oh, what a wonderful day it will be. Jesus is coming again. And I like the last part. The last part of his final course, he says these words, he says, standing before him at last. Trials and trouble all past. Crowns at his feet we will cast. Jesus is coming again. Oh, folks, upon the authority of God's word, I want you to know our Lord is coming again. If you're here today and you don't know him, his word says today is the day of salvation. You can trust him. You can call out upon the name of the Lord and ask him to forgive you and he will come into your life. He will begin the transformation process from the inside out. But if you're here today and you know him, you say, I'm a, I'm a child of the king. Pastor, I've already trusted Christ. Then I beg you to ask yourself, are you celebrating him the way that you should by looking for his return? Are you living for his return? And are you longing for his return. I pray you are. Because the Bible says. Our Lord's return. Is nigh. It is drawing nigh. It is nearer now. Than it has ever been before. And so we must be ready. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry. Check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org. Or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.